All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is episode number six. Jason and I are, are totally thrilled to have you on the PhD podcast. Uh, today, we have a guest from uh, Arizona State University. Uh, her name is uh, Boki, uh, and she is currently a fourth-year PhD student. So, Boki, thank you for, uh, for coming on and, and uh, sharing uh, some of your time with us. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Boki, can you tell us a little bit about... Um, just, you know, your background and, you know, who you are and yeah, like so that. Yeah, absolutely. So Boki is my nickname in the States. I'm originally from China and my name pronounced in Chinese is Wang Peiyuan. And yeah, I, I just like this name, so I just go with it. Nice. And, <laughs> yeah, I did my undergraduate at Tianjin University in biomedical engineering. And during that time, I got into brain computer interfaces. It's an engineering department, and it, I think it just inspired my interest in the brain and doing neuroscience stuff. But it doesn't quite feel right. So, and then I went to Pennsylvania State University to get a master's in kinesiology because I'm all about sports and yeah. movement. I think that's a good transition for me. And I was doing work with people with ADHD to study their inhibitory motor control. But that doesn't feel right either. <laughs> so then I ended up here at Arizona State University studying motor control and neuromodulation. So it's kind of bridging my interest in neuroscience and movement. Oh man, it kind of reminds me of us because um... <laughs> I know, I know Jason has an engineering background to kinesiology to now biomechanics. And then for me, it was just like that. It was like, um, okay, I have so many questions. This doesn't make sense. I want to know more on to the next, you know, the, the, the next topic, the next school, for example. Um, yeah, that's similar journeys for sure. Yeah, um, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. what, 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 what is your background? Yeah, so, uh, well, my background is all basically all motor learning. Um, so I I tore my ACL back in oh. 20, 2014, and that kind of got me interested in how I relearned how to move again. Uh, and that kind of just went off, you know. So I, I kind of just took that and started getting into all the attention work, and here I am. So, And I know uh, Jason has a pretty... Uh, diverse background as well. <laughs> I, think, I think we all, I think we all have some interesting things. Like I started out as, as just a mechanical engineering major at, at Michigan state and who had a, I don't know about how familiar you are with the rivalry there, but Penn state and Michigan state yes. pretty good football. <laughs> They've gone back and forth the past, the past half decade or so. It's a good, it's usually a good game, but it's interesting how like, you know, we, we all three of us started in, you know, unique areas and then we all end up doing brain stuff at some point. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if you think yeah. about it, you know, the brain controls everything. You know, so we all start from engineering backgrounds, kinesiology backgrounds, and then we all end up at some point focusing on, you know, the brain. So that's, that's this will be a fun discussion here. And, you know, yes, you, you said this, so you, uh, typically what we do is we ask all of our, our attendees to send us over a, a paper that uh, sort of influenced them and their research interests in, 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 in one way or another. And you sent a really interesting paper. Um, and uh, this was actually a, uh, a reading that I did as well. Um, prior to you sending it and it was uh that we'll 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 put the link in the uh the notes but um the title of it was neuroscience needs behavior correcting a reductionist bias so book can you tell us why you chose this article and how it pertains to your specific research interests 
Yes. In, in a sense, this paper is what saved me from my dip. So, yeah, and since I started doing research, it was all about, it was mainly about neuroscience work. And I, I felt like the part that is missing is I can't really use that work to sports, which is my passion. I just keep coming back to sports. And if I can't do anything that's related to it, I just feel this pain. It was like... <laughs> And when I come across this paper, it just it lights a light bulb in my head. It's sort of, oh, this is why I felt so painful for so long. It's because I'm missing a behavioral work in my brain research. So essentially this, uh, this paper introduces us to, so there's this current trend that we're, uh, that computational neuroscience or a lot of like neural level stuff is getting traction. And because that stuff is hard, people are pouring a lot of attention, effort and time into it. And the side effect of that might be that we're overlooking behaviors, but we cannot really explain what is happening on neural level if we don't know what's happening at the behavioral level. Exactly. That's, yeah. a, that's a great point and that's something too that I that I think about I think about a lot with like my concussion research is that we focus so much of our management and like intervention programs on the cognitive aspects of concussion, but we don't give a lot of attention, at least as much as I think deserves to be, to the motor behavior side after the injury. That fits really well with what you're saying in that, you know, the, the brain is immensely complex. We know that there's just so many things that we don't understand about the brain at the moment. But at the same time, we have to understand that the brain also controls our behavior and our movement specifically, too. And that was interesting that you mentioned that and how, you know, we study the brain so intensely, but we sometimes forget there's other aspects there with, with motor, motor behavior and, and motor control. Um, in this paper that, that you brought up, Boki, was, you know, admittedly, it was a little bit over, a little bit over my head and my, my current knowledge base, but it was a really, it was a really interesting read and trying to relate it back to some of the, you know, the work that we're doing here. And I just had, you know, just a, a comment or, or a question for you. And I think, um, you know, people that look over this article might have a similar one is that, uh, you know, in your, in your viewpoint, what's a, what's a, re- a definition of like a reductionist versus like a plural, a pluralist view of, of neuroscience? How are those similar and how are those uh, different? Yeah, I completely get it. Why you feel like this paper is over your head because it was over mine for sure. <laughs> that was actually the first time that I've heard of reductionist and pluralist uh, perspectives of doing neuroscience. And my understanding is a reductionist bias is that we will be able to explain a lot of things if we only focus on neural level. So it's kind of reducing this complex thing into a, a mere neural level. Whereas the pluralistic, I don't really even know the word. I, I think a, a synonym for that is holistic. Look, you not only consider the neural side of things, you also want to bridge it in with behavior. And even you go broader, what's the evolutionary purpose of this behavior and this new development? That's how I think about it. And they gave a really uh, a good example that resonates with me is they try to understand a microprocessor. 
that controls a game. And they will lesion some hardware of that microprocessor as if a brain, a, a part of a brain area is lesioned. And they're saying, if we can figure out, you know, what, just by simply looking at a microprocessor, what its function is, we might be able to just explain everything by only looking at the neural level of things. And that paper was by Cording uh, and colleagues, and they just find out that it's not possible to, by simply looking at a microprocessor to explain right. its function. Right. You know, it kind of reminds me of like more, if you look just in the evolution of motor learning from like more motor programs to more like systems approach uh, and how we kind of view uh, just, you know, how we learn and perform skills. Uh, I think it's, uh, I had th this paper resonated with me um, a lot because it kind of, kind of brought back like, okay, this was the thinking of how and why we have sort of evolved in such a way that we have in terms of how we not only approach these, these questions, but how we then analyze them and then apply them to more, you know, I guess, you know, practical settings and stuff like that. So yeah, that, that was a great overview of it. More, yeah, more just like functional tasks. And that was, again, I'm coming from more of a, a movement perspective when I when I ask these questions to you, Boki, and bring up these talking points. And my just my takeaway from reading this article, and they have some really nice figures in here too. I really liked figure one. And we'll share this, we'll share this article in the in the show notes, but it just one of my takeaways from this was that if we just do like an isolated, you know, study of the of the brain without any sort of you know corresponding motor behavior, it doesn't offer you know, a full representation of, you know, the brain's capabilities. And a question I have for you is, Boki, given your, your background is, what are ways that we can, you know, improve this so that we can explore more of the, the capabilities of the brain as it relates to, you know, complex motor behavior? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what can we do to explain motor behavior better with neuroscience? Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that's where... A lot of behavioral work is going to help. Mm -hmm. So for me, my personal take out of this is, okay, I'm using this, whether it's fMRI or it's EEG, this really high-tech work, but I also have to really level up my game in terms of analyzing and decomposing behaviors. And that is how we can you know, embrace the two together because they're on very different levels of specificity even uh, and one example that I uh, let me think about it it's I really liked figure one and the penalty of it is mm. that yeah you can have a multiple different levels of neural representation but all of those corresponds to one behavior outcome and I think uh, this might not be a cool an analogy, but if we're thinking about the brain, all the brain waves and the neural signals as like an ocean, and the signal propagates as the waves in the ocean, there are like a lot of different types of waves. It could be like high and low or slow or fast. And our goal maybe is to get from island A to island B. And we'll get from island A to island B, but there are a million ways that we can ride the waves to get there. 
Mm-hmm. That's actually a the, really, really good analogy. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It actually, actually remind. Yeah, it reminds me of more of the um, sort of the functional variability work as well. Like, there's many ways to do to do certain things, right? Like Bernstein's yes. whole hammer uh, thing, blacksmiths, but. Um, yeah, I think, sorry, I, I know I cut you off, but. Yeah, so essentially, um, I think, so we can ride waves a million different ways Yeah. to get to our behavior, but no, the behavior like in general will look pretty much the same, which getting from point A to point B, but on the finer level of the behavior might actually be very different. Like the trajectory from point A to point B is different. The speed where you get to it is different. And I think that's where uh, behavioral work really needs to also just come together and level up the game. It, it sounds like to me, Bogian, based on what you're saying, is that you know our future studies need to include um, you know both the the neural side of things, but also the you know the the correlations, the associations with with motor behavior. Whereas, like if I if I'm saying I'm doing a throwing task and I mm-hmm. throw with one with one sort of technique what is the what is the you know the brain's response to that but then say i throw with another technique like say i throw overhand and then my you know i have a target in front of me okay but now i try throwing it you know sidearm or i try to throw it underhand still trying to reach the same the same task and the same target but that's just from my perspective kind of what what, what you're mentioning is that is that something similar like the outcome of behavior is still trying to be as accurate as possible to throw, but I'm getting there in a, in a different way. Yeah. And that's, I love that you brought up the various different ways, the, and I think Harjee touched on it, the variability in our behaviors. Sometimes what, what I see a lot of research are focusing on is averaging all of them together. But since the behavior is so different, when we average them, we're like, we're losing the uniqueness. And if uh, correspondingly, if we're averaging all their neural signals together, we're losing that level specificity as well. And I, uh, so in my research, I'll give you an example of that. So we are looking at the correlation between a cognitive function, visual spatial function and a motor learning. So we think by the motor, like the different stages of motor learning, cognition definitely correlates with it. But if we just took all our subjects together, run correlation analyses, we don't see that pattern. Mm-hmm. But then there are some people that in our group that are not ex- exhibiting an exponential learning in their performance. And they're maybe linear learners who learn very slow and little. If we take those people out and only focus on the exponential learners, we do see that relationship. Mm-hmm. And Boki, do you guys do like um, single subject analyses or is it more of more group based? Because you mentioned that with like people who are more linearly versus exponentially. Do you do you separate those individuals out and do separate in depth or is it more of more like group based? As you... Group based for now. Based, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my things that I really want to dig deeper into is individual variability. I think mm-hmm. that's just so fascinating. Yeah, and I think that would be more applicable to a sports setting as well, because every elite athlete is so unique and different right. from everyone else. Right. And I believe it's. Do you guys know Dean Oliver? 
Like he's the guy that wrote like the basketball on paper book about basketball data analytics. And so it's like a data guy. But in his book, he paraphrased Bill James, the baseball like analytic writer. And he said, to reduce everything to one number as a mean, I think that's what he means, can really end a conversation and now allow opportunities for new insights. And I think that is where I'm stuck, sort of, in my research is mm -hmm. the means doesn't tell us a good story anymore. How do we separate them out? Right. But, but and then that's the thing with the some challenges in neural data because the signal is so noisy that we cannot really have a good representation of what's happening unless we average across them. And then if we average across everybody and they're so different, we're missing out on the signal because it's not strengthened by the average. But a, a solution to that might be if we characterize behavior really well, we group people and we average among the groups, that might give us more insights. You bring up a, a really good point because I think this goes hand in hand with our next question. Um, you know, we talk about understanding and causality. They're oftentimes separated into two different domains. Um, but as we know, and from reading this article, um, that really may not be the best way to understand behavior. So when, so what are some ways that students, um, like all of us, can start to use this knowledge and formulate their respective research questions? Because like you said, there's a, you know, there's a slight difference in how we sort of analyze this stuff. So do you have any suggestions when it comes to that? That's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm combating with this myself. It's because uh, our times are limited and our funding and our resources are limited. Like, yeah. I would love to get a lot of people and group them based on their behavior if I have the time. Mm -hmm. But do you think do you think um, methodology needs to change? Like um, like the way we like forget about like developing the question and the groups, but like how we actually analyze the statistical analysis is that something that we can readily focus on? Or I mean, I think that's also a loaded question, but um, yeah. Uh I can answer that, maybe. Yeah, please, go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I think this comes as, uh, from my background as an engineer. So I definitely have a preference for better methodology and better like, signal analysis anyways. Uh, I just think it's, it's such an art to separate out no, uh, signal from noise and everything else. Yeah. Uh, because if we don't do that, we risk arriving at the wrong conclusions or the wrong understandings. And if we want to test causality based on these understandings, it's, I think it's risky. But I just, I, I have no really good way to address that other than just keep learning <laughs> new stuff and read and talk, talk to you guys. It's, yeah. it's good too, Boki, and we really appreciate, we really appreciate you sharing, you know, your experiences and some of your struggles because you know, it, these, these papers look great on the outside, you know, when, when we publish them or we submit them to conferences, but people don't, some people don't really, especially if you're not in a, a research intensive setting, they don't understand, you know, the efforts that, that go into these kind of studies and some of the struggles that we have. And so we really appreciate you, you know, being open and, and raw with us about this because, you know, we're, we're researchers at, at the end of the day, you know, we, we enjoy research and we, you know, this is our, you know, our passions, but 
individuals sometimes I think kind of get it lost in transition or translation that, you know, it's hard for us to, to perfect a study. You know, there's always things that we can do, whether it's a, you know, a neural study, a, a human behavior study that we want to do and that we think would be optimal for our research, but this, the feasibility with it isn't just always there. Yeah. Where do you draw the line? And you talked about like, you know, we're limited. We're, we're so limited in what we have and the time yeah. we have um, because it's just, you know, our goal is to produce sound research and then, you know, get a job and support our families and our life and et cetera. But uh, yeah, you, I, we've, me and Jason talked about this before as well. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, how we approach um, the questions we want to answer. And this is just my opinion is that like, you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll think about it this way. Like, what is the problem? How do I go about, you know, figuring out, you know, why that's occurring? And that's, that's one way or the other way is, okay, how is this behavior occurring? What do I have to do now to, to actually analyze? I think there's a different approach on how we answer or create our questions that we want to answer. Um, and like you said, it's so loaded because we, we've done it. We've done it one way for so long, but then it's like you know we have to change on how we look at things. So I appreciate you uh, bringing light into that because uh, we talk about it all the time, and it's it kind of it's kind of frustrating, but it's also like well. Kind of just got to do it. So and, you know, these are these are tough questions that we're asking, but these are the questions that individuals like ourselves really need to ask. And, because uh, if no one's actually yeah, attempting to solve the problem, the problem's always going to stay there. And and it's tough. I mean, it's tough to link the brain to to complex movements. I mean, the brain itself it's so is very, hard. the brain itself is extremely complex. Movements like gait, standing, walking, jumping, running are extremely complex. And there's a lot of unknowns that we just don't understand with both of those. And now you're trying to mash together both of those aspects. I mean, these are tough questions. These are tough questions to ask, and it's going to take a lot of manpower and a lot of willpower to be able to, to start unpacking these questions. It takes individuals like ourselves, you know, the researchers, the PhD students who enjoy this and are, you know, working extremely hard to you know, to try to solve some piece of this puzzle so that we can keep, we can keep building upon this. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for giving me a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> these are part of the reasons why we keep doing these is so, you know, students don't, you know, go crazy in their homes for, for months on end. They can have outlets to, to chat about these kind of. It, it's also good to hear that other students also have the same uh, yeah. sort of questions and thought processes like we do. Um, so, Bogey, with that, um, just moving on, what, uh, what cur- I know we talked about this before we started, but uh, what current or future research studies are going on in your lab? Uh, obviously, right now, we're kind of in a halt, but, um, or what research interests do you have? Because uh, I think you bring a really cool background, uh, and why? Uh, okay. Yeah, thanks for making it real. I wasn't thinking about we're all in lockdown and can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just kidding. This, this, no, I think this is an opportunity in and out of itself because we're just pressured to get data so fast that we, at least I didn't really have the chance to sit down and look at the data. And so I'm using this time to do some modeling work on my behavioral data to try to decompose them a little better. But moving forward, My future research, I would really love to just go more of a motor behavior, motor performance type of route. Because 
I think I also got the idea from this paper. This just really validates, you know, my scientific question is how can I understand motor performance in order to enhance it? So I'm all about like, you know, athletic performance and how do teams and individuals perform better. So I think uh, my question would be what I'll be really, if I had the resources and the education to do it, which I believe in the future I will, I will be looking at what contributes to motor expertise. I might be going off of an, on a tangent here, but one thing, another thing that pains me a little bit is how underappreciative of people, when I grew up, they, how underappreciated they were to athletic intelligence. But I believe that is super cool, the athletic intelligence, because athletes not only have to do cognitive stuff that are really demanding, they also have to master movement, which is super complex. And nobody knows how we do it, but they just made it look so easy. Yep. Yeah. Well, that is, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to, to interrupt there. You bring up a really good point because, you know, I think about those similar questions and how we're in a, you know, on a soccer field or a football field or a basketball court. You know, these athletes do these tasks and, you know, read their environment in the different, in the different stimuli out there automatically. You know, this is second nature to, the, to some of these, these people. So it's, it's really interesting that, you know, you bring up that point too. It seems just so effortless. But we yeah. know that there's that there's really complex things happening, but we don't we know that we just don't know what's that. Bogey, my question is, you know, just following up on this, because um, we talked about this a little bit off air, but I want you know people listening in on, to to hear about it too. What is your um, like center dissertation questions? Like, what are some of the okay. things, and then what are like some of the the projects that you have you know upcoming with that? Gotcha. So my dissertation focuses on if we can improve motor learning through neuromodulation. So we're really trying to bridge neuroscience, neuroengineering with motor behaviors. And two, two approaches that I'm dealing with problem. This, the first one is using transcranial direct current stimulation, TDCX. And the other one is to use neurofeedback, meaning to transform your EEG signals, your brain waves into something that you can comprehend yourself and see if that will meaningful signals, of course, and see if that'll improve performance, which is not surprising that when I read this article, I'm like, my behavior level needs to up a little bit because essentially uh, we can't draw conclusions too fast from neural intervention studies. But yeah, yeah that's the two of my dedicated projects. Mm. That's cool. Um, you know, you mentioned expertise uh, before. I actually just ordered a book called The Neuroscience of Expertise, I believe it was. Um, I gotta yeah, check that out. Yeah, it's on, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's reviewed pretty well. And it's, it's, I, I, I don't know, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping to, because uh, we, we have similar research interests. So I'm also interested in how this aspect of attention sort of evolves with expertise. I think that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, um, nonetheless, Boki, so our last question um, is, what is one practical takeaway a practitioner can take from your uh, expertise? I'm gonna approach this question 
a slightly differently, maybe. Yeah, for sure. So practitioner, I, I can't really speak to it because I'm not really in the like athletic field yet. But mm-hmm. I want to just how myself have benefited from my research is this. I interpret variability very cautiously now. And by variability, I mean in, in our motor performance or in our academic performance or cognitive performance whatsoever. We do better, we do worse. And it's always fluctuating. And it's really easy for me. It used to be very easy for me to draw on those uh, not as good performances. I'm like, am I just decrementing? Am I getting weaker? Yeah. For example, if I'm doing push-ups, right? I can do seven the other day, but I only got five. The next day, I'm like, am I getting weaker? Although I'm putting in a practice. But, but if you look long enough, if you still do that practice every day, however many you've got to, over time, you're getting stronger. I can get to maybe 10 in a month, but over time, I'm not, I'm not like moving straight line. And that variability masks the actual improvement that I'm getting. So I, now my takeaway is just don't take things from a face value and be just, just be cautious about what is the signal and what is the noise. Yeah, it keeps coming back to this very engineering concepts, but it, it is. And, and you know, you bring up great points because you know I come from an engineering background myself, and in your know, biomechanics is very signal and noise heavy too. It's you know when we're collecting you know behavioral data, you know with our markers and our motion capture, we're, or we're capturing you know EMG type of data. We're always being extremely cognizant of okay, what's the actual signal here? What's the information that we're actually trying to get? But then where are the artifacts coming from? Where is the noise? And we need to be, you know, careful that, you know, we're not analyzing noise, noisy data, because that, you know, that ruins our analyses and that ruins our interpretation of data. And so it's a great point that you bring up that, you know, if, uh, you know, a practitioner, you know, they're working with a client, they're working with an athlete, you know, there might be a day of training where, you know, it's just not a great day of training, it's you know, if, for, for exactly, they're off for one reason or another, you know, they might have slept well the night before. Or, you know, they just, they didn't eat enough that day. And, you know, in a sense, that's a, that's a noisy signal. That's a noisy, it's a, it's an aberrant, it's an aberrant, it's an aberrant signal, but over the long term, you know, monitoring their behavior, monitoring their performance, you'll see, okay, that was just a little blip. That, you know, that wasn't anything that, you know, is, is something that's going to be a, you know, a permanent change. So I'm glad you brought up that, that example, because I think it's important for, you know, from a performance and a practitioner standpoint to, you don't have to use all these in-depth engineering principles, but you just have to understand that sometimes there's, there's some error in the signal that, that's going to occur because we're human at the end of the day. You know, we're not perfect. Right. We're not machines. You know, we're, you know, we have emotions, we have feelings and being able to, to connect that to how, you know, the brain and how it modulates behavior, you know, the work that you're doing will give us that understanding more of, why did someone have a bad day? You know, why was performance a little bit off that day? So we appreciate your, your time in, in sharing your information with us. You know, one last thing I'm going to add is uh, I took a class on self-regulation uh, this past uh, semester. And cool. one, of the, one of the things we, we discussed was we take complex systems and we analyze them in very linear uh, ways. So we, we, acknowledge, we acknowledge the fact that it's very complex but then we analyze it in a way that it's not. And so I think that's the, 
<laughs> Reductionist bias. We're all the way back to our topic. Good yeah, job, RG. We, we come full circle on it. We come exactly. It's important. It's important though to to understand to not only and this is one of the big things that I always come back to. Like, it's important to understand the problems and be able to un- identify the problems, but then coming right back and offering solutions to the problems because it's really easy to identify problems. Like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. But if we're not able to identify, okay, this is what we can do to solve that problem, then we're just, we just keep going and spinning our wheels. So it's great that we have conversations like this so that people that are, are listening, whether they're you know, researchers like ourselves or they're practitioners or clinicians, they can say, okay, this is an issue that we may be having. Okay, here's a, here's a solution to that problem. You know, we're identifying, you know, here are some of the issues with you know, linear type of analyses, behavioral type of analyses. But as we, you know, the three of us and other, you know, researchers like ourselves continue to do this, you know, this in-depth work. Now, okay, now we're starting to offer solutions. Here's, here's what we can do to solve this issue. And so we're, you know, Boki, we're always excited to have, you know, high-level PhD students like yourselves on the podcast to chat because we always want to come back at some point in the future, you know, and follow up. Yeah. And follow up on the work that you're, that you're doing so that you know, we can update, you know, here's what Boki was doing in year four of her PhD. Now here's what she's doing, you know, a couple of years later. So we're, we're excited for, for you and we're excited to, to, you know, have you come back on at some point and, and update us. Well, I'll be glad in this longitudinal study. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. It's all about longitudinal studies now at some point. And I really appreciate when you, when you were paraphrasing it in such a clear and articulate way that I think a way to address variability is just to keep track, keep track of the progress. It's, it's so important. Absolutely. And, and like also from like a, an athlete or someone who is actually doing the work from their perspective is just to keep going through the hard days. Yeah. I mean, like we talked about our walls in the PhD studies. And, and yeah. I think like my takeaway from this is just, just keep going and build, like going gets tough. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Boki. Well, we appreciate your time. Uh, I think this was fantastic. I think listeners will definitely, uh, definitely vibe with all of us here. Uh, I know we, we shared a lot of thoughts. Um, and so uh, once again, thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, and, thank, you. Uh, thank you. Thanks yeah. again, Boki. Take care, stay safe and stay cool in that hot Arizona weather. I know we're getting fried as well right now. <laughs> yeah, you guys too. Stay sane. All right. Thank, thank you. you.